to a new episode of Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. This week, I'm joined by Peter Wilson, who is our first interviewee who's from Northern Ireland. Thanks for joining me, Peter. Thanks very much, Bruce. Glad to be here. Glad of the opportunity to talk to everybody. Well, we're very, very, very glad to be listening to you. And it's, it's lovely to hear that um, that Irish lilt <laughs> coming over the airways. You know, I, I always imagine people listen to supply cars on the weekend, maybe on maybe on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe they're reading the reading the papers online, and uh, and I'm sure they they'll love to hear your soothing tones coming across on the Sunday afternoon. I never think of them as soothing at all, Bruce. I'm sure there are many people who would agree with me. <laughs> the last members of your team, maybe. Uh, Peter, first of all, can you can you tell me what, what your role is and also what your role was in the last 12 months during the, during the pandemic? Yeah, happy to, Bruce. Um, so since September uh, 2020, I've been the interim director of operations for the Business Services Organization. And Business Services Organization provides a range of shared services to health in Northern Ireland. And up to September and for the 10 plus years before that um, my role was as assistant director of procurement logistics um, and effectively that meant I was a subject matter expert in Northern Ireland healthcare for uh, procurement and logistics services um, to to the public health uh, bodies operating in Northern Ireland. Okay, how long have you been in uh, in healthcare procurement? Is this something you've been in a very, very? Oh, I'm getting the yeah, they, <laughs> these these hairs these hairs don't get grey overnight, you know. Um, uh, I I've been in, in uh, healthcare procurement, public healthcare procurement, uh, all my career, with the exception of three months. And I uh, in August this year, that'll be thirty nine years. Um, so just over thirty eight years of of. Uh, experience in, in public procurement in Northern Ireland and all of it in health. 39 years, you get, you get less for murder, as they say. Well, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You'd also get fewer grey hairs for murder. <laughs> I'm sure many of my colleagues would agree. <laughs> um, so, so almost 40 years in, yeah. you know, 40 years in procurement. I mean, it's, it's interesting, obviously, the HTSA just uh, celebrated 60 years. Yeah, um, I've been a, an HCSA professionals. How long have you been a HCSA member? Well, I, I've been an HCSA member, probably thirty-six of those thirty-eight years. Wow, like that. Um, so uh, I, I I joined quite early, um, uh, and uh, was uh, was. Uh, an irregular attender at conferences. One of my one of my abiding memories is going to the HCSA summer school, although it wasn't mm-hmm. called HCSA back then. It was called NAC, I think, from memory. Um, and uh, I had a great time uh, at the summer school in Nottingham, which I think was around about. I want to say 1985, maybe 86, something like that. So yeah, uh, a long time, and and uh, it's, uh, it's been a very happy relationship for me with 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 HCSA and lots and lots of uh, friendships through it as well. I have to say, yeah, great. So what would, you, what would you say to any any uh, procurement professional, healthcare procurement professionals in Northern Ireland who are shamefully not currently members of the <laughs> First question is why not? Um, yeah, and, right, exactly. Right, took the words out. Uh, of uh, 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 well, I mean, uh, the, the 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 reality is, you know, 
in terms of in terms of procurement, public procurement, um, Northern Ireland's a small place. Um, we all tend to know each other. And one of the things that I, I've got from, from my membership of, of HCSA has been that wider network. So anybody starting out in, you know, a buyer's role with, with, with my organization or uh, we have a graduate trainee program. So anybody coming through a graduate trainee program, one of the things that I encourage them to do is to, to develop that network outside of Northern Ireland. Um, and the best way to do that in many, in many respects is actually through HCSA and, and the, to build those contacts and, you know, to, 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 to um, uh, try and get yourself along to conference if that's possible. Um, but to create that network for yourself, I mean, HCSA is a great, a great way to do that, I think. Great. So you, I, I got to admit, I'm intrigued by the fact that you said that you've been in a healthcare procurement professional your entire working life apart from three months yes i've got to ask i, I, I have to ask was this did you did you did you, did you briefly I, enter the, the theater or something <laughs> <laughs> well there's a few people in hcsa might say that he sing but uh, but no i didn't um when i started my first permanent job in health was in medical records and okay. uh it was it was in a um it was in a very, uh, very uh, kind of quiet department uh, in a leafy, down a leafy uh, street um, of Victorian houses. Uh, and um, it was unbelievably quiet. <laughs> and as somebody having, you know, coming out of, coming out of, um, full-time or not quite full-time education though, I, I was a student, um, you know, having my first job, it, it didn't really ring my bell. And I, uh, I applied for, for what was at the time, a general intake into um, uh, our, our uh, one of our health and social services uh, organizations. And um, there were three roles on offer, um, two of which were with the Northern Ireland Blood Transfusion Service, and the third was with something called the Area Supplies Department, which I had no idea what that did. Um, so I thought the choice of those was the um, the clerical officer, uh, because that, that was the entry level I was coming in at, was the clerical officer in the Northern Ireland Blood Transfusion Service. Um, traveling around Northern Ireland taking blood. Uh, but the job they offered me was the, the clerical officer in the area supplies department. And that was how I ended up um, very much falling out of medical records and into um, procurement, uh, albeit we called it supplies back in those days. Um, uh, and and as I say to, to, to um, when anybody asked me about how I started my career, you know, I, I found I enjoyed spending other people's money for a living. And was quite good at it, so <laughs> stuck with it. Excellent summing up of human. So obviously, you know, the last year it's been dominated by by, by COVID nineteen and the effect that it's had on procurement professionals yeah. in, in healthcare. It'd be great to get your take on what things have been like in in, in Northern Ireland. You know, we've had a number of people on from uh, from England on this podcast, but. You know, I'm really keen to hear about what things were like over there, uh, personally, and just in in, in a general sense. Um, well, I suppose um, 
this is probably my in the 38 years my third my third my fourth pandemic maybe um really so, so yeah i have to say the others were minor blips you know they were so they, they, been... they didn't register in the richter scale they would have been yeah. swine swine flu yeah. um sars avian flu you know so uh, 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 they they really didn't register at all in comparison. You know, uh, for those pandemics, we we raced out. We bought a few FFP3 masks, and we never used them. You know, there was very right. little. There was very little impact in Northern Ireland. COVID nineteen, as we all know, an entirely different um, proposition. And you know, I have to say, the last the last. Um, it's only just 12 months now, I suppose, but the last 12 months of my, uh, uh, certainly the most challenging 12 months of my 38 years. Um, uh, and, you know, in equal parts uplifting and uh, very much, you know, um, uh, depressing in, in, in some, in some, some occasions. But um, I suppose, I mean, to tell, to tell the Northern Ireland tale, um, we, I would say we, we were, we were, affected differently to to the rest of the uk and i'll try and explain why um certainly to england um maybe not less so scotland and wales but uh, i suppose history wise um i i got first got involved in in uh in covid19 and um dealing with it when i got a call from a chief executive on the uh 24th of january uh to say could you join a silver command um teleconference here um about COVID-19 and or, or I think at the time Wuhan flu was how we were calling it right. so I went on to call um it was very uh you know it was very uncertain what was going to happen um there was there was no real clarity around what what guidance was likely to look like but um i mean it was pretty evident to me that you know if you had disruption in china we have lots of product comes from china so we were going to anticipate disruption to supply at the very least um uh pp potentially going to be needed but no sense of volume or anything like that um and uh i come back to the office i had a conversation with with um uh, the head of logistics, who's a chap, young chap called Jonathan Sample, and my head of goods and services procurement, who, who's a, a, a young lady called called Linda O'Hare, and the three of us decided that we'll better up our stocks here just in case. Um, so we had done some stock preparation for EU exit, um, but we then bumped our stocks again. Um, so we, we brought in additional stock to bring us up to about 12 weeks stock in hand across a, a range of products we thought might be affected. Let, little did we know that, that you know, 12 weeks would be but a piece of a week's usage for some items. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... I suppose you know that that was that was our our first our first dance with with COVID. Um, very soon after that, we started to see demand grow at ward level. Um, we we have an integrated supply chain in Northern Ireland, so um, uh, my my staff manage supply direct to ward um, from our central warehouse. So um, you know we pick, pack, deliver onto site, and then I have staff on on uh, hospital sites who then transport the product onto the ward. 
Um, we use a, a materials management system at ward level. So we, we, uh, we then rotate the stock off the shelf, uh, you know, rotate the stock on the shelf rather and, um, and keep it fresh. So we saw heavy increases in demand there. Um, some of it in our view going to the wrong places. So, so we became concerned. And funnily enough, just just last night was was chatting. We have a a, a regular a regular what we call our coronavirus wash up. Um, so uh, we were just chatting last night, um, senior pals, team, and myself. And what you know what we were what we were reminiscing was we sat one afternoon in, in my office on, on a whiteboard and we looked at what our demand was was appearing to be mm -hmm. and how we thought we were going to meet it and we threw up some figures which were literally off the top of our head we need to get 10 million masks we need to get you know 40 million aprons and this sorts of things that to us you know were were you know mind-boggling in terms of volumes but when i when i look back and i and and um, Northern Ireland publishes a, 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 a statistic, a, a, an infographic each month on, on PPE uh, supplied. So when I look back now and I think of you know, the 10 million masks we thought we were going to need, you know, um, we when, in 2019, we used just over 75 million of the core PPE items. Um, you know, in, in, in the 11 months, the end of February, we, we, we used almost 403 million of those products. So, wow. you know, uh, I mean, we just couldn't, couldn't conceive of the volumes of product that were required. Um, but in a sense, we were quite lucky because that, that, that decision to buffer our stock to 12 weeks, um, plus knowing we had, we had generally speaking a minimum of two weeks at ward level, um, you know, it, it gave us an initial protection in Northern Ireland. Um, so um, we, 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 we were, uh, I'm not saying prepared because we were absolutely not prepared, but we were maybe a little more fortunate that we'd taken that decision early. Um, uh, but I suppose, you know, that was just, that was just an early stage. The big challenge is we're, we're a relatively small part of the world. You know, we were going out and, and, and competing with other, other major countries to buy PPE. Um, uh, we took a decision reasonably early to go and try and procure in, in China directly. Um, and we got a huge amount of support from, from, um, uh, colleagues in in the uh, what's called the construction and procurement delivery, which is essentially Northern Ireland's version of cabinet office procurement teams. Right. Um, so they worked with us uh, and uh, brought um, colleagues from the Northern Ireland Bureau uh, in China to the table and through them the British Embassy so we went out and we, we did a deal in China so that was a you know in 38 years <laughs> dealing dealing with dealing with people in an entirely different language was a first but dealing with them you know um, when the, it was it was kind of five o'clock six o'clock their time eight o'clock our time those sorts of time differentials and and dealing with a different culture entirely was 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 really interesting and, and quite an experience. Um, it's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of talk has been about preparedness or, 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 or the, the lack of it. Mm -hmm. When you think about the kind of numbers you've, you've said there, was this almost something that was impossible to entirely prepare for? You know, did anyone really foresee 
the size of yeah. the requirement for PPE? Um, I, I I don't believe so. Um, I suppose there was, there was quite quite early uh, in, in the, the process. We, we had been engaged with, with colleagues from England, Scotland and Wales for some time in, in, in kind of preparation for EU exit. But um, that, that, that group that was meeting at, at that point, I think weekly, um, transitioned very quickly to be a COVID-19 supply chain group, which was very sensible. Um, and the group itself were, were looking for modelling figures from beginning of February, um, excuse me. And that was to try and I suppose understand what's the likely demand gonna be. Um, but there was a few things that affected demand, um, which you know you couldn't predict in terms of having stock available, Bruce. Um, you know, so guidance shifted several times. And I'm sure if you if you talked to, to any of my, my my colleagues as you have done, um, you know, at some point they'll have been confronted with guidance changing. Sure. Um and and typically guidance never changes on a Monday. Guidance always changes on a Friday evening, um, yeah, yeah. so so you're left, absolutely, and mm -hmm. you're left with an application of guidance immediately. So you know that 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 different stages affected us, but I think in terms of you know preparing for this pandemic, I don't believe um, anybody conceived of the scale of product that would be used we we are involved in northern ireland as part of my organization does we work with the department of health here and we manage their their <coughs> emergency preparedness stockpiles um and uh and, and, and we still do um uh, those stockpiles, as you would imagine, are substantially depleted. Um, we had a slightly different approach in, in Northern Ireland to, to um, other parts of the UK um, who released that stock very quickly um, into their, into their uh, uh, let's call it normal business stock. And, and those stockpiles depleted quite quickly. Uh, we, we, adopted a slightly different approach in Northern Ireland where we utilized that preparedness, emergency preparedness stockpile to, to bridge any gaps we had in supply. So rather than, you know, at, at the get-go, and again, back to my point about buffering that 12 weeks at the start, um, we didn't release the what's called the PIP stockpile, um, uh, pandemic influenza preparedness program. We didn't release that stockpile, um, and uh, which left, would have left us then fighting to try and find stock at different points. We had that little bit of buffer. We then, as I say, used that to bridge any gaps um, where we, which we had in supply. But coming back to your question, sorry, I drifted off a little bit there. Coming, coming back to your question about preparedness. You know, genuinely, I don't believe. Anybody anticipated the, the 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 volumes of product that were going to be involved? I don't think anybody could anticipate the volumes of product that were going to be involved. And certainly, we were asked questions at different stages by by interested parties. You know, uh, why why did you not have a stockpile? Yeah. Uh, and and when and when we began to share, you know, I, I mean, uh, the, the figure I tend to take when I'm when I'm talking to people about this is in in 2019. Northern Ireland healthcare um, uh, consumed 1.7 million type 2R face masks, so surgeons' face masks. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, at the height of the first surge, we were going through 3.2 million a week. Now, how wow. anybody could wow. plan for that kind of volume yeah. of demand is beyond me. So I, 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 I don't think that you could ever have been prepared. And I think there'll be lots of lessons that we'll all learn from this. Um, you know, I think there are other factors that perhaps in preparation, nobody considered. Nobody considered the behavior of governments. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody considered that governments might step in and, and block the export of PPE yeah. or might step in and gazump, um, you know, contracts yeah. that were already in place for, for supply. So I do think that, that you know, um, uh, as, as the old story, you know, before you judge me, walk on my, in my shoes. Sure. I, I I look forward to, uh, to the beginning of the dead after the battle is over, <laughs> to, with with some some alacrity, <laughs> because I'm sure I'm sure we'll be asked lots of questions that, that are informed by 2020 hindsight. You know. Yeah, I mean, it was the wild west out there for a while, wasn't it? I mean, you heard you know crazy stories about you know almost altercations on on airline strips with yeah. PPE being flown in and a crazy situation. One of, one of the big things for us, um, so we had, we had a, f a few issues we had to deal with quite early. Um, so we were obviously, we've, we've as like everybody, I guess, um, you know, you, you try to standardize your product. You know, everybody comes familiar with it and so on. And we had lots of product standardized, most of our PPE standard, in fact, all of our PPE standardized pre-COVID. Um, we're suddenly confronted with product, you know, that was non-standard that we were buying from wherever we could get it in a sense and you know we had a few things that we had to really uh, deal with so quality of product was a big issue for 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 everybody and you know it, it's it's been a the, the subject of lots of mm -hmm. lots of um uh, media coverage and so on yeah. and and um and i suppose w w one of the things that we did quite early we introduced a technical assessment of products so um uh, 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 that technical assessment was um, essentially that that you know we would we we had an independent body um, made up of, of of pharmacists actually colleagues we work with all the time who um, uh, known as the Medicines Optimization Innovation Centre in Northern Ireland I do a lot of research work so they took on this role for technical assessment so you know um, we would we would either get offered a product or we'd source a product um we would then call in samples and we call in um uh, uh, uh technical uh, uh data sheets and so on and they would then go off and validate those data sheets um and and what we then did with the sample product was we brought it for a suitability test so we had this technical assessment and a suitability assessment the suitability assessment was carried out by infection prevention control professionals now what that did do was it did make it really challenging for us to make quick decisions about buying product Oh, absolutely. Which, which and, and at the time was, was the essence as well. Uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So that was really problematic for us. Mm -hmm. However, the upside of it was, you know, when we bought product, we knew it was it was fit for purpose, and we had a uh, when we were putting that product out to the end user, um, 
you know, we, we had a, a trail that we were able to evidence that said it's been technically assessed, it's been suitability assessed by, by clinical professionals, you know, what's, what's your problem in a, in a sense. Um, so we had very, very, very few products that, that, that we bought that, that when we put them out were unacceptable. And that, as time progressed, you know, we, that, that got much slicker. Um, the other thing it did um, uh, coincidentally was it, it tended to smoke out the fake product or the yeah. fake offer. So, you know, somebody come along and they'd say, I've got a, a, a million uh, or 5 million um, 3M uh, idiot 35 masks. Um, and we'd say, okay, well, can we get a sample? Can we get your certificates and so on and so forth? Um, and the sample would never arrive. So, you know, so those, mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm used to FFP3 as an example, but you could pick any product. Yeah. Um, and, and either we've been gazumped, and if we've been gazumped, we've been gazumped. Yeah. But most, you know, more often than not, the product didn't, it wasn't going to meet a standard or, or just didn't mm -hmm. exist. So whilst it was a little bit cumbersome at the start, as it got slicker, it certainly prevented us from having product that we couldn't deploy. And we did a lot of, we drew a lot of comfort from, from, from that, you know. So um, just before we move on to uh, the, you know, the questions at the end, just to, tease a little bit sure. of your personal taste out, out viewing music and film etc sure. what is the current situation like yeah well we're just coming out of third third wave or third surge um numbers are falling it's it's good in terms of supply of ppe yeah we've got strong supply we we made it part of our we developed a strategy um uh, our PPE supply chain strategy. We quite quite often were criticised. Do, do we not have a strategy? We did have a strategy. We just didn't publish it. <laughs> so we, we had it signed off by all our stakeholders. But it, it was essentially about building building a central stockpile, um, uh, and uh, and then using just just in time supply to to, to meet the, the weekly demand. So we, we, that we've moved on that extensively. Key part of that was developing local supply. So. Um, you know, we, we, we went about engaging with local manufacturers, some of whom came to us, uh, some of whom we, we met, we encountered through, through our Invest Northern Ireland colleagues. Um, and we, we brought on a number of, of uh, local manufacturers to give us a bit of resilience going forwards. Um, and that we focused that, that work in, in key areas. So, so we have a Northern Ireland manufacturer of FFP3 masks, which was a key problem area for us. Um, that that mask's going down very well as it's being deployed. Um, uh, we we brought on type two R masks and we brought on um, uh, visors. So so that that you know and that was good news for the Northern Ireland economy. Um, we, we've created you know uh, I mean the the, the FFP three manufacturers created 120 new jobs in Northern Ireland. So, you know, there's there's an, a positive side to this. So how does it look at the moment in Northern Ireland? Um, yeah, we've got good levels of stock. We've got good supply lines um, in place. And, you know, I'm not saying we're, we're confident. Who knows what the future holds? But, you know, compared to where we were back in, in um uh, March, April time, you know, we're, we're, we're sleeping a lot more easily in our beds, Bruce, is the truth of the matter. And my, and my, my teams who I have to say throughout this were fantastic. We had a, we had a core team who, who looked after, um, all of, all of the COVID, um, items, um, senior members of my senior team. And, you know, 
the hours those folks were banging in, and I'm sure my colleagues have all said the same thing. Just it is humbling to see yeah. the commitment of those staff, um, who in many instances were being called back office staff um, wow. and, and could could not have been closer to the front line. A fantastic team. So um, so yes, a much better place now. Um, they're all getting they're all getting to see their families, <laughs> um, and uh, and we're just hoping that that you know the next the next lot of weeks we'll see us out of lockdown and I can get my hair cut. <laughs> well, that's the perfect positive note, I think, to now whisk you off to a desert island. Okay. In the in the in the final part of the podcast, which is what we call Desert Island Supplies. <laughs> and uh, th- uh, thank you, thank you, your good audience, Peter. My pleasure. <laughs> um, so the idea of Desert Island Supplies is that you're on a desert island. This year, you've got plenty of food and water. That's why we're not packing you off with those. <laughs> but you do get to choose what one album. Okay. Only one album. So this is like, assume you're going to be on this desert island for the rest of your life. One album you can take with you, one film you can take with you. And we've, we've recently added the uh, opportunity for you to take a luxury item as well. Maybe go with the luxury item first. <laughs> any idea? Well, I would have to have a combination of luxury items, Bruce. You know, being 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 a procurement person at heart, mm-hmm. I, I never want to bring one thing as it were. <laughs> so what I what I would bring as my luxury item would be um, a broadband connection of decent speed, my Xbox, uh, uh, and and uh, associated peripherals, and a large screen television and a copy of Call of Duty Modern Warfare <laughs> to, 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 to play my way out of, out of isolation. I'm wondering now, last time out we spoke to uh, Pav Devsey and she uh, similarly got round the issue of the one luxury item by asking if she could take her entire bedroom. And everything, <laughs> and every, which contains every luxury item she would, to, she would like to have. So, well, well, We'll, we'll let it go. So I'm wondering now whether you whether you even need that album and, and film. Oh no, definitely need the album. Oh no, 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 but um, what what would the album be? The the album the album um well I'm a I'm a throwback so the the album would be uh, Pink Floyd Wish You Were Here. Okay, um, excellent. Because uh, you can't you know if you if you're going to struggle to have light in a desert island, mm. if you close your eyes in in the dark and listen to Wish You Were Here, you can yeah. conjure up all sorts of all sorts of images so that, that would be my album and i suppose the element of prog rock there means that it takes you off to an immersive another world so you get to escape while listening to oh, that absolutely you can shine on you crazy diamond you know <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just great you're, you're building up a brilliant image here on this desert island i might, I might join you <laughs> uh and what would the film be now that's 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 a real difficult one <laughs> for me yeah um, to because there are there I, I, I really enjoy watching a, a good movie um probably the movie that i have watched uh, most over many decades apocalypse now oh one of my favorites right. I, I quite literally watched it last weekend in 4k the new final cut so i know i'm totally there with you literally just Last weekend, I was watching the same film. 
I, I, I mean, you know, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you must have felt like saying that in the last 12 oh. months. You must have felt like uh, uh, many, Captain or Major Kilgore, is it? Robert yeah, Duvall. Major Kilgore. That's, that's for anyone that doesn't know, that's Robert Duvall's famous line in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that, that and Charlie don't yeah. surf. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I have to say uh, I, the music was actually, I would say it was, was a very yeah. difficult choice as well, Bruce, um, yeah. because it's, it's a way I find online. But yeah, yeah. Many times I've felt like, like the last 12 months was apocalypse now. <laughs> I can imagine. You've just given me the perfect outline there, Peter. <laughs> and I'm going to go with that as the outline on this, on this week's podcast. That's been Peter Wilson. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, please okay. come out your busy schedule and join me on the next episode of Supplycast. Mm-hmm.